How important it is that we make the next step led by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Not pressured by people. Not governed by the expectations of everybody else. Amen. But exactly what God tells us to do. That's where my heart is today. Not here to impress you. Too late for that. Amen. I'm not here to try to carry out my agenda. I'm here to give you a word from God that I believe He spoke to me today. It's so good to have my wife with me. I love her so much. She's put up with a whole lot. When I get to heaven, I think my job will be to push the wheelbar full of her rewards because I've got most of mine here. But uh, I'm going to ask her to read for us this morning. Before she reads, I want you to indulge us this morning because I feel like sometimes we pull a text to preach out of a context and we miss what's really been said. And how many of you know text out of context leads to error? And so I want you to indulge me this morning because I'm going to have her read rather lengthy text this morning. And uh, I started to say, and I'll alter my message, but I've been here too long. Y'all know that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to share what's on my heart. Amen. But I want you to listen to these words. It's a story of Ruth. And if you'll turn to chapter 1 of Ruth, I'm actually going to have her read the whole chapter. And I'm going to try to emphasize four particular words that I feel like God's laying on my heart this morning. And... Um, and I believe it will be helpful to you. It's, it's been something I've been using myself. So look at the first chapter of Ruth. I'm going to let her sit down and read this chapter. And, uh, and then I'll share my heart. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Milon and Chilion, Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left in her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And now I want the, you to notice something here. Underline ten years. That's very important before death goes on. Because ten is the number of testing. And ten is also the number of redemption. We just got through paying our tithes. That's a test to see if you can be blessed. Amen. This is an important pivotal time in the life of this family. They went through a testing time. How many of you have been through a testing time in 2019? You know it's been a difficult time. It's important for you to understand God never wastes a moment. I said he never wastes a moment of time. He's not governed by time, but he governs time. Amen? It's important for you to realize where this family is. They've been through a testing time. Go ahead, Deb. And Milan and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law 
that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, <clears throat> that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband, if I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay with them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfast-minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, and all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to share your word this morning. And Lord, we know that your desire is not to make us bitter, but to make us better. And I just pray your anointing would rest upon me, Lord, as I deliver a message that I believe you've laid on my heart this morning. And Lord, I'm just believing you, Holy Spirit, to take the words of a simple man 
and make it a life-changing word in the hearts of your people. Teach us what we have need of, for only you know, Lord, what lays beyond the threshold of this year. And Lord, I pray for your strength in your presence, Lord, to go before us. Teach us the things we have need of. And Lord, give us ears to hear and understanding hearts and obedient wills to what we hear in the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone in agreement together said, Amen. Amen. What a tragic story. It looks like everything's over for Naomi. But what I've come to discover, it hadn't even begun. And you know, so many times, the distress that we go through is a doorway to destiny, and we don't know the difference. And we allow ourselves to go back and depend on our own character. How many of you know that's where we get in trouble? Let me introduce you to this dysfunctional family. Can I do that? In fact, how many of you know we're all a part of a dysfunctional family? Because there's this fallacy that all of our families are normal. Or there's some normal family somewhere that we're emulating. I'm a baby of 14 kids. My mom and dad had 14 kids in 20 years. Let me tell you something, that ain't normal. Okay? Let me go on to say, the ones they had wasn't normal either. And we were put in some weird situations just because they believed in being fruitful and multiplying. It changed the way we lived. On top of it, we had some dysfunction that was not under our purview or control. Had a big sister. All of mama's babies was big. Every one of them weighed over ten and a half pounds but two. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that, that deserves a couple of whistles. But anyway, Alice weighed thirteen and a half pounds. Can you imagine that? My dad said when she was born he looked to see if she had teeth. But anyway she was dropped at birth because of her size. The doctor dropped her. Caused her to be severely mentally ill. Scarred her brain. She had epileptic seizures. Sometimes as many as 36 and 24 hours. Our house was not normal. We didn't fit in the normal cycle of somebody's mind. As things went on, dysfunction set in more. Had another sister born, just three children up from me. Alice was 11 years older than I was. But mom and dad had a baby named Sandra Gell. Sandra Gell's heart was enlarged. When she was 10 months old, her heart literally exploded inside of her chest. Blood ran out on my dad's shirt. She died in his arms. Three months later, my sister Becky was born. It's like stair steps. And Daddy embraced Becky. Just for sanity's sake. I understand that now. I didn't understand it when I was a little boy. I understand it better, man. Because I've suffered loss. I understand what loss is. Mom then felt abandoned because Dad transferred his love to Becky for healing's sake. She wanted another baby. She wanted number 13. Can you imagine? Because she needed a healer. 
She tried to carry the baby and in fact did to a fourth term, but the baby died in birth. They placed a dead baby in my mama's arms. And dysfunction was being born and I wasn't even here yet. The doctors tried to get my mom to have a hysterectomy and said, all of the babies born from now on, they'll be born dead or they won't even make it through gestation. And she said, I can't quit. I've got to have four more. She got pregnant with me. For nine months, she bled. They told her every day she was losing a baby. And I was born and placed in my mama's arms. And I was my mama's healer. My sister was my daddy's healer. Our home was dysfunctional. Not because of anything we could do to change it. See, this is where we end up causing people to be disillusioned in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because we hold them guilty for things they have no control over. And we label it to a lack of faith or some other spiritualized reason. When we fail to understand that God is truly Lord of all. Of the good, the bad, the ugly, the dysfunctional, the normal, whatever that is. He's still Lord. See, this family seemed like a normal family. The father's name of Elimelech meant God is my king. <laughs> he knew his Lord. He knew that God was his answer. His wife Naomi's name meant my delight. What a pleasant couple. They had two sons. One of them's name was Chilion. It means longing one. He was longing for something. There was something missing in his life. And I believe it was due to the fact of his brother's health. For Malon meant sickly one. See, when there's a family where one is sick like Alice was, Alice demanded a lot of my mama's time. All of her time. I was raised by my sisters mostly. Now see, when you got a family like that, mama can't do everything because mama's cooking and washing clothes. So all of my brothers and sisters were happy to wear me out when I needed it. <laughs> Sometimes when I didn't need it, they need it. But anyway, I was longing for something that was missing. Chilion was longing because Malon had been sick. He was a sick boy. Sick child in a home. Dysfunction wasn't something they planned on. It was just something that happened because life is not fair. There's a family that comes on and they move away and they marry two girls. One's name is Orpah. Her name meant Wanderer. <coughs> Scripture doesn't say, but she probably married Chilion because he was longing for something. She was too. Something brought them together. And then there was another named Ruth that was a true friend, probably married to the sickly one. She had proven her faithfulness through difficulty. 
These characters were in place. Their nature was there. See, when trouble hits, what you fail to realize is we'll go back to our natural mm -hmm. instinct. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we will. It's just part of our human nature. And so there's dysfunction in the family and that leads us to our next situation. Because as soon as distraction meets dysfunction, people begin to react instead of act. And let me explain to you, that's a real problem when you start acting off your reactors. I'm an extremely emotional person. How many of you know that? I cry when they open a new Dollar General store. It doesn't take much to get me going. I can't watch Little House on the Prairie. I dehydrate. But anyway, I, I cried everything. And I think it's okay. Amen. It's okay to be emotional. Ain't nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with it is when you start making decisions off of emotions. God moves me emotionally, but He directs my life. I don't let emotions direct me because they're fickle. They change. How many of you know that's true? You can't depend on your emotions. What you feel. People tell me all the time, well, I know I've given my life to the Lord, but I, I don't feel. I said, please, don't try to go by feeling. Ben Debbie's been married 45 years in April. There's times when I felt like hugging her. There's other times when I felt like hugging her extremely tightly. Listen, you need to understand, if we went strictly by feeling, we wouldn't be here this morning. Billy Graham's wife was asked, have you ever contemplated divorce of Billy? She said, no, but I have considered murder several times. <laughs> Listen, how many of you know feelings will change? And when distraction meets dysfunction and you move emotionally, you're going to end up making some serious mistakes. Serious mistakes. What are the distractions? What is it that gets this family out of the place of bread? Well, first there's a famine. How many of you know when you can't eat, that's bad? I'm, I'm at that place in my life. They just keep sawing my table. Smaller and smaller. After a while, it's by the size of a cracker box. And I think I'm still allowed to eat the box, not the crackers. But anyway... <laughs> It just keeps shrinking. <laughs> and you know, I, I felt better feeling-wise when I was doing whatever I was wanting to. It just wasn't healthy for me. I wanted my feelings for years. In fact, how many of you know, if we just do what we want to, usually that don't end up good. Had a doctor who told me, he said, listen, I, wanna, I want you to talk to a nutritionist. And I said, what does she need to know? He said, she don't need to know anything. She needs to talk to you because you need to know. And I said, do you think I'm this size because I don't know nutrition? <laughs> I said, you understand, I've been on every diet you can imagine. I go on one every Monday. I plan to go on another tomorrow. How many of y'all joining me? <laughs> I've even been on two diets at a time because I couldn't get enough on one. Listen, I know what would make you slim. I just go by feelings <laughs> instead of knowledge. 
There's a famine in the house. When there's nothing to eat, it will get you moving, sometimes in the wrong direction. And what they did was they let the famine move them out of the house of bread. Isn't that ridiculous? Because God wasn't automatically, listen to me, gratifying their need. Be careful about instant gratification. That's right. Don't let it move you out of the will of God. Well, that right there is something important you need to hear. Don't let your own desires get you displaced. Because then they ended up in a strange environment. They didn't know where they were. I understand this because I get lost everywhere I go. I've got lost so many times. If I don't get lost going someplace, I get nervous. I'm directionally challenged. You cannot imagine. Sometimes I just stand around Walmart waiting for everybody to leave so I remember where my car is. Anybody with me? I get lost everywhere. Anywhere. I get turned around. I get lost so much that if I feel like I ought to go right, I go left. Because I know I don't know where I'm at. See, when you're moved by emotions, it can put you in a strange environment where suddenly you don't know which ends up. You're like a termite in a yo-yo. You're just bouncing everywhere. You don't even know where you are, much less where you need to go. And they're in a strange environment, and then all of a sudden they start dying one after another. One after another. Can you imagine? The husband dies. The two sons die. Now here these women are left. Destitute in a strange land. Away from the house of bread. Then all of a sudden, she says to her daughter-in-laws, I gotta go home. And here they are, the wanderer and the true friend, walking along. I imagine one on each side. That's kind of the way I am. <laughs> I'm at that place where I don't have stability anymore. My kids used to laugh because me and Debbie held hands all the time. They like, y'all are cheesy. <laughs> they used to explain to all their friends. Now when you ride with us, Mom and Dad would be holding their hands all the time. They just, they're like that. Now Debbie holds my hand for stability. So I don't hurt nobody. <laughs> Ain't about romance anymore. It's about not falling down. <laughs> and I can imagine kid on each side, just walking along. Won't you two guys help me? Come up here, I might need it. I might still go down. Get on one side and one on the other. And here they go. They're heading home. I feel stronger already. <laughs> and they're walking along and Naomi just says, this ain't fair, this ain't fair to y'all. Y'all younger. Y'all don't need to use your strength. To stabilize me. Why don't you go home? Why don't you go back and make a life for yourself? And all of a sudden, they feel responsible. And they say in unison, no, 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 we're not going to leave you. We're okay. And she pushes the envelope one more time. Now listen, ain't going to have no more sons. <coughs> It's not going to profit you in the long run. And all of a sudden, the wanderer says, you know, you're right. <laughs> you're right. And so, she hugs her back and she's gone. 
and she suffers rejection. Rejection on top of grief. <laughs> Can you imagine this picture? And she turns to the other and says, Listen, she's gone, why don't you just come in and go? But see, she's met someone that's been through sickness. Somebody's been through death. Someone that knows there's no future back there serving the more about God. And so she promises her, thank you. She promises her, I will not leave you. See, rejection on top of grief will lead you to be bitter. My ministry started in a nursing home in a jailhouse. Did you know that? Probably because I needed a captive audience to listen to me preach. I'm not sure. I needed folks that couldn't get away too quick. <laughs> I even had some of them in the nursing home shuttle on off when I was... But anyway. I met two kind of people in the nursing home. Can I tell you who they are? I met some of the sweetest people you have ever met in your life. Fifteen years I went to nursing home twice a week. Ministered to the people there. Man, I met some jewels. I met some wells, brothers. I got drunk out of it. Wow. And then I met some of the most cantankerous old dudes that you have ever seen <laughs> in your life. And I come to realize life had been the same for both of them, except one had been made better. Why the other had been made bitter. See, distractions will come and dysfunctions will reveal themselves. And people will go back to their nature to act the way they always have acted. People say, you know, money makes people act different. No, it doesn't. It just magnifies the jerk they always was. <laughs> they were just broke jerks before. Once they got money, you saw what a jerk they were. Y'all still with me? Yeah. We still on the journey? Yeah. Everybody say dysfunction yeah. and distraction yeah. leads you to disaster. Yeah. Thank God there's another stage. Can we put it up? Decision. See, it's in the midst of your dysfunction and distraction when what you decide determines your destiny. <clears throat> Got to change the way you're doing business. Insanity is doing the same thing and hoping for different results. How many of you know you do the same thing, you're going to get the same results? Nothing's going to change till you change. And comfort is the enemy of change. Some people are more comfortable being dysfunctional than they would being healed. Some people don't want to be healed because they get too much attention being sick. Some people don't want things to straighten out because they don't even know how to live. Straighten out. I was talking to a friend. He's a great preacher. He was talking about this woman coming in. And I could identify with him. And she began to talk to him. I don't want to tell you what's going on in my life. You know, one of the winding saints. <laughs> I married this man. He was an alcoholic. 
He drank. He beat me up. He died of cirrhosis. I married this other man. He started drinking. He beat me up. He died in a car wreck. I married this other man. The preacher just stopped and said, man, listen. You've been in my room 10 minutes. I need a stiff drink myself. <laughs> There may have been a reason. <laughs> what was going on? But I've seen people do that. Repeat the process with no knowledge, no wisdom. I was talking to a guy one time. I found out the older I get, my filter got holes in it. I don't have a good filter. <laughs> I've got a low tolerance for ignorance. God was telling me, I got 40 years experience. I said, brother, can I just share the truth with you? He said, yeah. I said, you don't have any experience. You made a mistake 40 years ago. You repeated 39 times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help you not follow the same law, but I mean, you know how to get back up a Because you keep following over the same thing. Over and over and over and over. It's going to take some decisions to make a difference. What are the decisions? Let me give them to you quickly. You're going to have to connect to the right people. How many of you know it's important, your connections? That's why I love to be around wise people so that maybe I'm misunderstood being wise myself. That's why I don't want to hang around idiots lest I'm guilty by association. That's why I don't like to hang around negative people. How many of you don't like to be around negative people? Boy, I really hate them. If you're negative, go ahead and insult me and don't say anything to me today. Just ignore me, go on. Because I got enough in my family. Any of y'all lack negative people? I got some extra. I've been on a mission field. Every time I went on a mission field, my family declared my death. You're going to die. I'm like, where all are you? No, you're going to die overseas somewhere. Really? Prophesy, child. Prophesy. <laughs> what a stupid man. Every time I left him at the airport, it looked like a little troop of Basset Hounds. Little droopy ears, tears, kissing me by. Like I see you in two weeks. <laughs> and actually, brother, you go with me and have to hug you by. But anyhow. <laughs> Negative, man, negative, negative. See, you're going to have to make some positive decisions who you connect with. Some people connect with the wrong people and try to figure out why they're not going the right way. I might have to cue you for an amen. Your direction is a result of your connection. Surround yourself with people bigger than you. Are you listening to me? Connect with people that's going to take you and challenge you to be more than what you are. God's got me with a bunch of millennials right now, which I think is funny. I can't spell millennial. (laughs) And I told them, they're 18 to 26. I'm like, listen, I don't know how to be you. I ain't even sure I want to be you. But I'm telling you one thing, I'm not going to come in with my hat backwards and pair of sunglasses on. I'm just going to be me. 
Now I'm going to meet with you every week. Let me just explain to you the ground rules. Okay? You've been given a participation trophy for blinking. Come on now. Now you're out of school and nobody gives a rip. And there's a Big Mac truck coming at you like 90 to nothing called life. And I'm an old crusty dude just crusty enough to tell you the truth. And help you not get run over. So you're not a hood ornament. So I'm not going to come in here and try to tickle your ears. And if you won't come back, fine. If you don't, I'll take a nap. <laughs> I've got options. <laughs> but I may tell you the truth. Did you know things grown from 3 to 35? You know why? Because they're desperately needing authenticity and truth. And they're willing to listen to an old ball-headed guy so they can redirect their life into something more than a like on Facebook or Instagram. Listen to me. There is a famine for the truth of God's word spoken in love. I love them. I love them. I don't care that I want to kill them a time or two. I love them. <laughs> love them enough to tell them the truth. Who you connect with will determine your direction and ultimately your destiny. And then the third thing is community. It's very important to have community among those you're with. What does it mean? It means to have in common that you actually have the same common goals and desires. How many of you know Amos 3, 3 says two can't walk together unless they agree? They have to have a commonality. And so they make some decisions of connection. Everybody say connection. Direction. Community. Devotion. Wow. Devotion. See, it's not just enough to agree with somebody. It's being devoted to that, and I'm going to go one step further and dedicate it to that. I was reading several years ago uh, a description that a guy coined for consecration. I loved it so much I, I put it to memory. But he said consecration actually means out of the ashes speak. In other words, your flesh has been consumed. You've laid on an altar of sacrifice and you no longer live. And out of those ashes you have consecrated yourself fully to following Jesus. It's not about you anymore. It's not about your agenda. It's not about your thoughts. It's not about your feelings. It's not about reaching your particular plateau. See, if you're going to make the decisions you need to make, you need to connect. Everybody say connection. Direction leads to community where you have an opportunity for devotion and where you have an opportunity for dedication. See, I'm trying to share with these young people that it's important that you develop community. I took them to the gathering. Pastor Zach serves as a part of our apostolic covering for my spiritual sons. Seventy of which we've raised up in the last 40 years. And I took those kids there and I said, I want you to look at this. Because I want you to understand, I'm not trying to develop a community to make me feel good because I'm old. I already have lived inside a community for over four decades of people I would lay down my life for, and they would lay down their life for me. 
I'm not here today because I want you to do something that makes me feel better about my own condition. I'm here on the threshold of a new year because more than ever before, you need to correct, connect with the correct people that your destiny will change. This is no time to play. The days of playing are over with. And you better make sure who's in the foxhole with you has the same vision for the warfare that you do. And you can't expect that to be straightened out in Washington, D.C. It's not going to be done from the White House. It's going to be done from the church house. Don't forget that. Don't you better make right decisions. They lead to right declarations. Today I want to share with you those words that Ruth spoke to Naomi. Did everything change instantly? The answer is no, it didn't. No, it didn't. It takes time for destiny to unfold. One of the lessons that I was teaching the millennials is how you go through three stages in life. I'll give them to you. They're not a part of my notes, but they ought to be a part of yours. See, with my life, there was three things that happened. Number one, I found provision. I went to work when I was 14 years old on a public job. Had to. Wasn't a choice. It was a force, but I had to. When I was 17 and graduated high school, my dad come over. He was not educated. He said to me, you got a piece of paper they gave you last night at the school. He didn't even know what to call it. It was my diploma. He said, you got $64 in your pocket, and in the morning, you're leaving. I said, where am I going? He said, that's your choice. I just made my choice. You're not staying here. <laughs> well, that sounds cold, don't it? But you know what he told me that day? He said, I went to work when I was 15 in a coal mine with a pick and shovel, working alongside my dad at 15. We had to fill up a two-ton car before I could leave and go home. We picked it out the side of the mountain. He said, you've had two years more than I have just to loaf around. That's what he looked at. I had to go to work. He didn't ask me, how do you feel about this? I just had to go to work. Because I had a bad habit of wanting to eat. <laughs> I still got it I told y'all that so I wanted to work 17 and provision come into my life I remember working working overtime working on Saturdays 15 years passed and I moved from provision to prosperity I still talk to the young people about that Got to work for me, brother Rick? Yeah. I see money coming into your life about two weeks after you get a job. Why don't y'all join me and have a little fun? But see, I got to where I was dead free, living on an 80 acre farm. 80 acre farm, had a new car. Me and Dad were living a life. I was number 39 out of 1,400 employees at the job I worked. I was number one equipment operator out of 18. I was poured in with a concrete, had a perk package at retirement. 401k, life's good. 
But all of a sudden, God started dealing with me, and I realized I didn't want to spend the rest of my life moving pallets of boxes from point A to point B. And even though I had had provision and it had led to prosperity, something was missing in my life, and it was passion. Are you listening to me? So I traded in provision and prosperity. Quit that job and went on to pastor 27 people in a town a thousand miles away because I was willing to pay for passion. Now let me explain to you about this generation because I understand who they are. They're passionate. In fact, they're the most passionate generation you have ever witnessed in your life. And what they don't want to do is they don't want to spend 30 years becoming miserable and just making a living and existing. They want passion now. Because their parents have moved from provision to prosperity, but were afraid to cash it in for passion. Yeah, I'm trying to help you young people. Y'all need to say amen about it right now. Because you have a passion not to waste your life. And for that, I applaud you. But let me explain something to you. If you don't get your passion in a way that you can articulate it into a purpose, you'll never have the provision to carry out what God's called you to do. And it's going to take destiny and time for that to happen. So I told those kids, let me explain to you. I've already traded prosperity and provision for my passion. So understand clearly, you're on a bus and it's my bus. And I paid the price to get here. And you've got a passion. But your passion will not sustain you. You're going to need a purpose. And you're going to need the provision of God. And you're going to need a support system to build around you. Or your passion will just be a lofty dream that will never come to pass. Are you here? Your grandchildren are passionate. You need to help them articulate it into a purpose where they can be provided for. See, with Peter, he had a fishing business. It was successful. And then he ran into Jesus and he traded all in. I come through the doorway of Apostle Peter. Paul, on the other hand, had an experience with God. And a passion was born. And then he realized it was for the Gentiles. And he become a tent maker. Yeah. And that's why Peter and Paul had the problem they had in Galatians 2. They had come to the same uh, point through different doorways. Wow. See, this generation is a Peter. Or I'm a Peter generation. I come through the provision, the prosperity to the passion. This generation we're facing today are passionate. They're a Paul generation. They want an encounter with God. You're going to have to help them articulate it into a purpose so they can be provided for. And I ended that lesson that day saying, listen, maybe you do want to save the whales, and that's fine. But you can't save the whales if you can't feed a goldfish. You're going to have to have some means by which to carry out what God has called you to do. And let's not be the people... Let's not be the people who says, we did it our way. Let them kids do whatever they want to do. We have a generation of warriors waiting for old horses like myself to take them into battle so they can accomplish exploits for God. Yes, Amen. Young soldiers need old horses. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Yes, I need you because you're my future. But don't ever forget you need me because I'm your history. 
Are you listening? Come on. Come on. If there's no foundation, then there's no future. If there's no future, your foundation's in vain. I didn't intend to say all of that, but I'm glad I did. I feel better about it. Listen to me. I'm passionate about this generation. Experience all God wants them to be. Because I remember when there was a passion birthed in my heart and I left that job and people made fun of me and said I was an idiot. God's taken me around the world 36 times to 49 nations. We planted 538 churches in areas where they had no Mm-hmm. We trained people to read and write, and now they're on their own with dignity because they're able to make That factory I worked in shut down about five years after I left it. It no longer exists, but I'm still employed by the same boss I left for. Are you And as you can tell, I ain't been hungry. He's taking care of me, and I've lived a life of And I wouldn't trade what I've experienced for all the money in the world. You're standing on the precipice of a new year. What are you going to do? Make the same resolutions you made and broke last year? It's time for new declarations. Can we say them together? And I'll close. I want you to say it to him. Say it with me. I will commit my life totally to you, God. Say it with me. I will commit my life totally to you, God. I will follow where you lead me. Say it with me. I will follow where you lead me. Your people will be my people. And you will be my God. And I will never go back. While you bow your heads and close your eyes, just think of those five things. I'm going to read them to you again. I don't want you to commit to me. Who am I? And I'm telling you this. Some of you are saying, I don't know the will of God. I just want to say you'll know it as soon as you're willing to obey it. No sense in him talking to you if you're not willing. Mm-hmm. I will commit my life totally to you, God. I will follow where you lead me. I will connect with your people. They'll be my people. I won't have any other idols before you. You'll be my God. And regardless of the pressure for the familiar, I won't turn back. If you really mean that, would you just stand your feet over this building? I believe we're coming to the end of a year and stepping into a decade of completion. I believe God's going to do some things. In fact, I was talking to Pastor a couple of weeks ago. And in prayer, I saw three flash pictures. I didn't even know what they was. Brother Steve Sampson told me a few years ago that the word similitude's pictures. 
pictures that God shows you like flashcards. The more you dwell on them, the more God reveals. But I saw three pictures. I saw ribbons going in various directions and different layers of those ribbons. And I saw a thumbtack holding the middle of those ribbons and suddenly I saw them become a bow. It was a beautiful bow. And then that was gone. And then I saw the passing of a baton. But the runners were not dressed in modern day clothing. They were wearing togas that were girded up. I saw that baton then passed another generation. And then I saw a woman having a baby. And her face was like mine, full of tears and sweat. Suddenly on screen I heard a little baby cry. And I saw her face dry and joy cover her. And the Lord spoke to me the 2020 year that he ties up loose ends. Some of them that have lasted for years and some even days. Things that you couldn't tie. He said, when I break those connections, it'll make sense all of a sudden. He said, it'll open a doorway to a generational thrust. There'll be a group of warriors that come out of that completion to run the race before us. And he said, it'll be like a woman having a baby. Once I birth what I'm going to birth in this upcoming year, You'll forget about the labor pains that brought you to this moment. So I've been here many, many, many times. But I'm here to tell you this word from God. Because he gave me a scripture in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Be confident of this, that he that's beginner could work in you. Is able to complete. See, we don't know what next year holds. But I want to tell you something God does. And if we were real smart, we wouldn't try to lay out our declarations and decisions. What we would do is we'd come forward this morning and offer ourselves in devotion and dedication to God. That's what I want to invite you to do. Don't wait on who's around you because who's around you is not what it's about. It's about who holds your next breath. Yeah. Why don't we just come as a church as well? Why don't we just say, God, I'm serious about being serious. I don't want to repeat the same mistakes. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my oil. Because I don't know how much of either I have. You're going to burst something. And I want to be a part. I want to be a part whatever you're going to do. I just want to be a part. I just want to fulfill my part. I don't have to be the main cog in the wheel. I just got to be in your wheel. I just got to be. There's an international sign of surrender and it's uplifted hands. Can we just do that? Here at the front across the building, just lift our hands and open them wide. Let's begin by what we did as kids. When we were kids, we come to the table this way so Mama could look at our hands and see if they were clean. <laughs> and we just said, Lord, purify my heart. 